Welcome one and all to episode 321 of Signals from Mars. I'm your host, Victor, and this is the Jersey Metal episode. Joining me for this episode is Alan Tecchio, who you may know from bands such as Watchtower, Hades, Nonfiction, Level Feels, Autumn Hour, so on and so forth. Frank White, amazing photographer. They're both up next. I'm ready. Let's do it! I don't want to give too much away because we cover pretty much everything during the interview, but I'm originally from the area. I'm originally from New Jersey. So Jersey metal means a lot to me and just reading some of the excerpts that were sent to me by Alan just made me want to get my hands on this book. So hopefully that will happen shortly. Shipping is a bitch to overseas. So that is why I actually turned down the, uh, getting a book because of that. I mean, I'm not going to make somebody send a book out to me or an album or, or whatnot. I mean, I've, I've had, don't get me wrong. I've had cases where, for example, Witherfall sent me a really cool hoodie and I told them, Hey, shipping is probably going to be like 20, 30 bucks. And they're like, yeah, we don't care. Like, okay. Just to be forewarned, you know, um, I'm very aware of who I am and, and what my place is in all of this. If someone is willing to send me shit, I'm not going to say no. But at the same time, I'm cognizant that it just costs too much for a lot of people to send things. And I'm not the type of person to, yeah, you know, just send it to me. It's the only way I'm going to review it. I think that's bull. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think that's fair at all. If I were in the States, different story. Shit, I'd be a town over from Alan, but <laughs> that's besides the point. But uh, a fun interview. This is the first time I've spoken to Alan in, I think, about 10 years. I didn't look it up, but it's one of these things where, where I think, you know, why do I wait so long to talk to these people? I should have them on more frequently because it is really cool. They're They're always upbeat, always happy to talk about. The same stuff we love, hard rock and metal. In in Alan's case, obviously, he's been in a lot of bands. And the reason for that is that he's got such a great voice still all these years later. And anytime that somebody that I consider a friend of the show has a project going on or anything that they need to get the word out there or help to get the word out there, I'm more than happy to lend a hand. So. That's what I'm doing here. Real quickly, I do want to send a shout out to all of my patrons. Uh, if you want to join us on Patreon, it is patreon.com forward slash signals from Mars. You can do so for as little as $2 a month and you get a lot of quality, quality, quality music discussions. If you check out our hour one episodes, that's just me and my Patreons or patrons, excuse me, talking about 
different things that are in the metal news or different topics that that come up. If you want to be part of those discussions, if you want to be part of the voting, for example, we're going to be doing an episode on 1984 later this month where the patrons are going to submit their top 10 albums of the year. I tally which um, which album got the most amount of points and, and I'm hopping around here, but number one gets 10 points, number two, nine points, eight. Or excuse me, eight goes to number three, so on and so forth, all the way down to 10, which gets one point. I tally all the numbers up. And then based on whichever album gets the most amount of points uh, is our number one. <laughs> it's been Iron Maiden for all of the 80s so far. Will Iron Maiden be dethroned for 1984? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's going to happen until No Prayer for the Dying, maybe. And maybe it won't even happen then. So we'll see. Um, so if you want to join us for that, $2 a month gets you in. If you want, if you want to pay more than that, you can get different types of merch and also check out all the videos that I post on there. I post at least three videos a day. It's for the crowd that loves any music or for those that are stagnant in their music listening and think, Hey, there's no good new music coming out. No, wrong. There's good music coming out all the time. You just got to search it. So I'm helping you by posting these videos of bands you may know of. Maybe you only know their name. Uh, maybe you lost track of them, or maybe you don't know them at all. So this will help you check out new music. So, and a little along those lines is the reason why I just recently released a Patrons pick episode where one of my patrons, Jeremy Weltman and myself, discuss new releases from the month of January. So kind of to help you guys out with that stuff as well. Uh, also, we have Trivia Tuesday. Happens every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern. And that's exclusively on Twitch, only because that platform helps facilitate a system where it can keep points and it allows me to upload questions on a fairly in a fairly easy manner. So you have that. And Friday, Signals from Mars. We start up at 5 p.m. Eastern. We go till roughly 7 p.m. Eastern. If we have an interview in the second hour, we usually do hour one the first hour, and then a guest for the second hour. There's weeks where I can't do that, but for the most part, that's that's the plan. But anyway... Thank you for listening to this episode. I appreciate you being here. If you want to catch up with everything that I have going on, just go to signalsfromars.com. Go to follow. You'll see all of the social media platforms that I spread the word on, and you'll find all the ways that you can subscribe, like, share the podcasts, the video versions of the show, and all that great stuff. Again, signalsfromars.com. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Again, there's a million other things you could be listening to, but you're listening to this. I thank you for that. It's funny, we, we talked quite a bit about overkill yeah um during during the first hour uh being that they released a new song today 
And I see that uh, Mr. Tecchio has uh, an overkill poster behind him as well. It's from back in the day for sure. But yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it, it first and foremost has nonfiction all the way at the bottom. Yeah, of course. We opened so, up for those guys in like, I think it was 93 uh, through Europe and, and the States. It was phenomenal. They treated us really well. It was cool. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, I've I got to see them here. And I purposely wore a talking metal t-shirt because I knew that I would get a reaction out of them. <laughs> and, uh, and sure as shit, one of your former bandmates after the show, Ron Lipnicki's coming from backstage and he's looking at me from a distance <laughs> and I see him mouthing talking metal. He's like, dude, you're wearing a talking metal t-shirt. I go, yeah. I said, you know, I'm good friends with, with Mark and John and, you know, I do, a lot of uh, stuff for, for Mark behind the scenes and stuff. He's like, holy shit, what are you doing here? You know, so we got, you know, we started talking. And and at the time, I was going to be flying back to the States to visit my folks. And he's like, you got a place to stay? I'm, I'm on tour. I'll give you the keys to my apartment. I'm like, yeah, it's not necessary. You know, <laughs> but uh, Ron is that guy. Ron is like one of the nicest human beings that exists. And. Right. Certainly, I would say one of the most humble drummers for a guy who plays on a level that is not easily attained by most drummers, to be honest. Right. Right. Oh, he's he's ridiculous. I, I when I saw him on that. At that show and, you know, from playing in various bands and playing with him directly, um, there needs to be someone for a band like Overkill to steer that ship, to be able to keep up, to be able to make sure that the tempos are right and everything. And I'm looking at him playing and he doesn't even look tired. It doesn't look like he's, you know, yeah, he's, he's playing, he's sweating and whatnot, but it seems so effortlessly when he's playing. I mean, it just, it was ridiculous. It's a great way to put it for sure. <laughs> he is that he's that guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so for, first I did want to bring up, uh, I did, um, send an email today and while yeah. we're waiting for, for Frank to connect here, uh, there's actually a former member of your band that did, uh, I read earlier today that he had passed away. Yeah. Um, he was in Hades with you and he was in autumn hour with you. Yeah, exactly. Dave Lisinski, uh, yeah. great guy. He was also my roommate for a bunch of years. Okay. And, uh, he and I have so many like deep, cool memories that sadly I only have to myself now, uh, but that we shared for many years. And um, I know he had quadruple bypass surgery back in August. And I don't know, I, mean, I know that they determined his death was natural causes. I have to think it had something to relate to that, but I don't know. So right. fortunately he is gone and uh, sorely missed. I mean, this is only a day old. So the wound is still super right. fresh and I'm trying to work with his brother to kind of unravel whatever he had, he didn't have a will. So it's mm -hmm. not a fun experience. It's a lot of hard right. work to, to try to get through it, but very, very sad that he's gone. I mean, the guy was, <laughs> he was just like a, the light in the room, so to speak. Like when you walked mm -hmm. into the room, he was that guy who like right. gravitated toward, he was super smart. And selfishly, I missed the fact that, you know, last Thursday night, he and I and Frank White, uh, we were working on the next book I'm trying to tie up ends on the, on the first book because we had to do some editing to that. And I'm like, man, there's a band from Rutherford, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. I think they're called, oh my God, I'm going to get this wrong. Savage Death. I think it was Savage Death. 
I could pull it up and find it, but whatever it is, it, it, right. the guy, the guy went on to form um, Nocturnus and they were like the first black metal band out of New Jersey, basically. And I'm like, Dave grew up in Rutherford. He must know who this is. So we right. called Dave and Frank, Dave and I had a three-way conversation about these two bands and this guy in the band and where he's living now and, and all this stuff. And I said, Dave, I'm going to lean on you heavily for the next two books because the next book is 87 to 04 mm-hmm. and then 05 to whenever, like probably current day. Right. And I'm going to need you because you know everything. I mean, he just didn't know there was nothing he was really at a loss for. Right. And now we're at a loss for him, unfortunately. Yeah. That's that, that sucks. And I'm, I'm sorry to hear, like, like I said, you know, condolences to you and to his family and friends and, and, former bandmates. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, for those that don't know what, what kind of a guy that uh, Alan is, and and this is something that I've had inside of me for, for years. And I always like to say thank you to people when they do things for me or, or are nice to me or whatever. But years ago, and I don't know if you remember this, um, I'd actually found out that um, someone that I dated was dying from Huntington's, Huntington's disease. Yeah, yeah. And, and I wanted to put something together to donate money in her name for um, research. And out of everyone that I contacted, you were the first person to say yes, no problem. There was no issue. I, there were really? other people. <laughs> yeah, there were other people that I spoke to. Uh, that, you know, right off the bat, cause I remember I spoke to you and I said, well, you know, I'll, I have to pay you for this. You know, there's something. And you were like, Oh, don't worry about it. We'll figure something out. Other people were like, no, 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 I don't do that kind of stuff because you know, money never gets there. You need to pay me X amount up front and this and that. And I'm like, uh, I don't know how to handle this, you know? And it was just so weird that there was, you know, I spoke to you. It was like, yeah, no problem. Let's do it. That confirms to me, listen, and not propping myself up, but the responses you got from those folks, it confirms to me that most people just suck. <laughs> yeah. But, honestly, I don't even remember that, brother. I really don't remember that, but right. it right. is one of those things, you know what I mean? Like, you do what's right when you have to do it. And as a perfect example, Dave, as his side job, used to run a rehearsal studio for 15 different bands that have monthly rooms that they rent. Mm-hmm. And his partner is... You know, he's a he's kind of a, a silent partner. And so okay. his partner called me today from Florida. He goes, I live in Florida. The studio's in New Jersey. Do you want to run it? Mm-hmm. Because if you don't want to run it, I don't trust anybody else. And I'm just going to close it. And I'm going to tell the okay. bands they got to find, you know, a way to get their stuff out of there. And we're going to release everybody from their leases. And that's mm-hmm. that. <clears throat> and I'm like, you can't do that to the bands. Like, I know some of these bands, you know? yeah. yeah. So I've taken that on. I'll make a little bit of money from it. Nothing crazy, but it's it's good compensation. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. So I went there today and was in Dave's room, which mm-hmm. is where Autumn Hour used to practice. Right. I mean, I hung out with Dave in that room countless hours aside from the Autumn Hour stuff. Like he right. was my roommate and my friend and we hung out there and it was it was a great space. And to be in there and knowing he's never going to be in there again yeah, honestly, that was probably the heaviest thing that happened to me today, just to feel that energy not there and be like, wow. 
and now I'm going to take this over and work with these guys. And the bands all seem totally cool. And mm-hmm. I don't think it's a huge thing because I have a full-time job. So it's not like it's going to be my full-time job, but I'll right. do whatever I can to make it work. And it just, I think, reinforces what you were just saying. You know what I mean? Like you just step yeah. up when you have to step up. It's the right thing to do. Yeah. The other thing that you did for me that only one other person did when the last time that I spoke to you, we talked about a series of albums. Um, I sent you a list of 32 albums and most people said, hey, I'll talk about one. I'll talk about two or whatever. And I said to you, what albums do you want to talk about? Well, I'll just start naming them off. We'll just go. And you did every single one. You did all, <laughs> you did all 32. Uh, the only other person to do that was Gene Hoagland. Nice. I love Gene Hoagland. Yeah. So, um, so again, I need to thank you for that. Um, because I also thought that your comments were really cool because you got to play with a lot of these bands or see them live. So it's not the same about, you know, someone just commenting about, uh, maybe an album or them enjoying an album or not enjoying it. You were actually there, you know, kind of in the trenches with some of these bands and were able to, uh, to discuss them. I remember like the, the one like bonus album was uh sick of it all built for speed. And I'm like, man, nobody's wanted to talk built about to last. built to last built to last. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> it's motorhead. Um, and then I just threw it out there. I'm like, well, let's see what happens. And you just started to go with it. I'm like, holy shit. I finally got somebody that, you know, you gave your perspective of knowing the band and you know, the importance to the scene and this and that. And it was just, it was really cool. You know, no, to, I appreciate that, that, man. I appreciate that. I didn't know I was so cool. And honestly, the sick of it all connection was all Kevin Bolenbach because he worked in the mailroom at Concrete Marketing okay. with, I think, Lou. <laughs> so right. okay. he became friends with them, like, on a day-to-day working level. And then we would go to see sick of it all. And I'm like, th- I mean, you got to remember, this is back when, like, crossover was already entrenched. And yeah, there was yeah. a big mix between metal and hardcore. And the sick of it all guys, I mean, their live show was just impeccable. You know what I mean? Right. It was so much fun. But I met all those guys through Kevin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. And the the last thing that I wanted to bring up real quick, kind of coincidences and different things. And this is from somebody else. So um, I was I was recently or actually before this, I set up a Segway video. Actually, let me see if I can pull this up real quick. Actually, I can't fast forward it. There's a long intro to it, but it just so happened that I was interviewing one of your former bandmates, Mr. Lorenzo there. Oh, and, yeah. um, and I had this Segway set up between the first portion of the show where I have the, uh, some of my listeners on and then leading into his interview. And I'd done this a while ago and, you know, I'd kind of left it there for whenever break in case of, you know, fire type of a thing. So I play the video and as I'm playing it, I realize it, it's a, it's a small piece of an interview that I did with John Bush. Okay. And John Bush during this interview was wearing a Hades t-shirt. So, uh, so Dan says to me, you did that on purpose. I'm like, I shit you not. I just had this, you know, as I hit play and he comes on and has the Hades t-shirt on. I'm like, holy shit. I couldn't have planned this better, but I didn't plan for it. It just kind of happened. But, uh, it was funny because I brought up to, to John, I said, I said, wow, you're, you're wearing a Hades t-shirt. He goes, yeah, Alan Tecchio is a good friend of mine. We were pay, we were pen pals back in the day. That's true. It's true. <laughs> so, uh. So, so it was cool. You know, we, we were, 
we hooked up to talk about the Armored Saint album. We ended up talking about Hades and Alan Tecchio. <laughs> I will tell you, man, John Bushman. First off, I saw him open for Wasp and uh, Metallica at mm. Lemoore in Brooklyn. And that was a legendary show. And I just remember being like that young, hungry kid trying to make it. I don't even know if we were signed yet, to be honest with you, with Hades. But I was a fan and I loved him. And he was so nice to me. And I was like, hey, I'm in the, no, actually, we definitely weren't signed yet because I gave him our demo. And I'm like, hey, man, if you could put this into Chrysalis Records office, because that's who they were signed to. Right. And he's like, I'll bring it to Chrysalis's A&R girl, like tomorrow. I'm like, are you serious? And I'm thinking he's just like blowing smoke up my ass because I'm a fan and I'm kissing his ass at a show. Right. And they were great. And this is when they wore the armor and stuff. Like it was the right. old school armored saint. And that guy freaking totally did that. And all of a sudden I got a, com a, a call from Chrysalis Records like, hey, we were in receipt of your tape. We're reviewing it. They ended up passing on us. But John went like an extra mile that he didn't need to go. And yeah. it just showed me his character because he was just so great. And he and Jason McMaster were also pen pals. Right. So the three of us were pen pals because Watchtower, when Jason was singing for them, would open for Armored Saint in Texas. Yeah. And we ended up opening it from up here. And it was Jason and I did a lot of that kind of like co-promoting back yeah. in the day. And it was all pen pal stuff and handwritten letters, you know? Right. Yeah. And coincidentally, that interview that I did, was Dan with Jason. So Jason did mention that as well, that he was pen pals. Oh, and actually that came up because he filled for filled in for John a few months back. Yes, I was at that show. Oh, wow. That's cool. I was, I was at the New Jersey show. Right, right, right. Yeah. And Jason killed it. He was awesome. Right. Awesome. <laughs> um, you think Frank has problem uh, logging I in? Him and I'm like, where are you? So, you know, if you want, I'll call him. Okay. I mean, I reminded him literally a bunch of times today about this. So <laughs> let's see. You can hear this call, right? Because this is yes. good. <laughs> this will be good. Hello? Hey, dude. <clears throat> yeah. We're, we're online. Where are you? Oh, shit. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. Log the fuck in, bro. Let's go. All right, all right, all right. All right, love you, love you. All right. <laughs> it's a Friday, so he probably is like, you know, right all into the weekend already. I apologize for that. No, no, no. That's that's cool. It's all good, but I'm loving this talk. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I figured since I had these questions or these points ready to go, I'm like, well, you know, in the meantime, we can uh, we can knock these out. No, so, that's great. Cool. It's cool. Yeah. So uh, let's see, you have my brother Art just joined us in the chat. Hope everything is well. I see that Sean has to get up for work at 5 a.m. in the U.K. So uh, thank you, Sean, for joining tonight. God bless. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> so. Um, and you're in Spain? I'm in Spain, sir. That's so cool. What time yeah. is it there now? Uh, it is after midnight. Oh, man, you rule. <laughs> Well, I, I will I will say that you are the uh, <laughs> the former member of Hades that does interviews during normal hours. So, uh, <laughs> well, thank you, <laughs> Dan. I've I've done two two thirty a.m. interviews with Dan on several occasions within the last. You're two thirty. My two thirty. <laughs> so, luck, luckily, uh, Jason was able to convince him to do a. Uh, uh, when we do it the last time we did, we did it around this time. We did it at midnight, my time. 
which isn't bad. I mean, I, uh, most of the people that listen to me or follow this are in the States. Mm-hmm. So I, I try to, you know, I start up at around 11 my time, which is 5 PM for you on the East coast. Yep. Yep. And, uh, and that way I try to get, you know, as much coverage as possible, uh, over in the States, but beyond that, it's, it's difficult. The, the, the days of interviewing people at 3 AM and 4 AM are, are no longer happening. So I don't, I don't fault you for that one bit, brother. Yeah. That, that was, uh, that, 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 that was, uh, that was at the beginning. That was 13 years ago when I started podcasting and you had to do what you had to do, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. And where are you originally from, Victor? Dover. Oh my God. You're right next door to me. Yeah. Well, you were. You were. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah oh my, my folks still, my folks still live in Dover. My brother lives in Chester, so uh Yeah. So I've got plenty of family in in the area still. That's the area, man. I'm in Denville. I'm right in between both of them. Well, yeah, not yeah, really, yeah. but I'm I'm east of both of them. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I I see that when you post uh, pictures of like Indian Lake and stuff like that, I'm like, yeah, I used to drive by that all the time. Oh my God. That's so cool. That's so yeah, cool. Yeah. yeah. I gotta say, I do love it here. Uh, you know, for now, but I'm definitely looking for a Jersey exit at some point for sure. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Gotta get the kids out of school. You're originally what from Bergen County. Yeah. I was originally from Closter, New Jersey. If you know where that is. Roughly. Yeah. Then I lived in Clifton for a little bit, like a brief, like breath with Dan. And then I moved back home because I couldn't afford to live on my own. Wasn't making right. enough money. And then my dad moved to Florida. Uh, Hades went to Germany. During that German tour, I ended up getting an offer. Actually, right before that German tour, I got an offer to audition for Watchtower through Jason. And, okay. you know, Hades basically broke up in Europe. I came back home. I went down to Texas, auditioned for Watchtower, got the gig. And then we were back off to Germany. So that whole... In that whole time frame, you know, it kind of shifted for me, you know. And then I lived I guess shut up. Just <laughs> like eleven years, and now I'm at Morris County. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Welcome, Frank. Welcome, Frank. Can you hear us? Hey, what's up, brother? What's up, man? I almost wore that shirt, but I knew you probably would. And I didn't want to look like that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to look like two guys like that. Right. Cool. Nice to meet you, man. Yeah. Likewise, Frank. I uh, like I was telling uh, Alan uh, via email. I mean, the first time that I came aw- or became aware of you guys working on this project was when you guys spoke to Mark when you still had Talking Metal going. All so, right. Yeah. So so it was what. Um, I mean, Mark stopped doing that about a year ago. So you guys were on what, like 16 months ago, 18 months ago with him? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys have started working on this book one. Two and a half years ago. Yeah. I started the idea back in 2019. And then, uh, you know, got the title going. I started getting some photos together and some initial uh, words. And then I... uh, Ran into uh, Alan through our friend Freddie Dingo, who owns uh, Dingbats right. in uh, Clifton, New Jersey. And we ended up uh, talking, and then I asked him to review my uh, deal book. And then after that, uh, we kept talking to each other. And then 
before long, I figured out that this guy would be the perfect person for my book, Jersey Metal. And so we ended up beginning a partnership. And, and here we are down the road already with a book out. Cool. Alan, how difficult was it for you? Or not difficult, but did you need any convincing to jump in on the project? Or honestly, were you sold from the get-go? Honestly, I was very flattered that he asked me to do it. And uh, I knew I had the chops to get it done, but I didn't realize the, the scope of the work. And okay. initially we had, you know, we had thought it would be like from 69 because, you know, Frank really had a vision of showing where the metal scene that was thriving in the 80s came from. We didn't want to mm -hmm. come out with a book that was just like, you know, he was really insistent that we show the groundwork that was laid to make that scene happen. And at right. first I was, I'll be honest, at first I was sort of like, do we need to do that? But we did because you need to see where it kind of came from. And mm -hmm. as we started to lay the pages out, we realized both of us looked at each other like, there's no way this can fit in one book. It'll be like 2,000 pages. So right. we had to start dicing it up, slicing and dicing it to figure out what's most important, how many years can we put into it, a, a volume. And then we got it down to three volumes. And here we are. The first volume's out. There's going to be a revised volume coming out shortly, which we tweaked massively. And that'll be the final volume of the volume one. So anybody that bought the first version of this book, you'll never be able to buy it again after a month or two from now. Like it's just gone uh, because we had to do a lot of tweaks to it. And then we're working on the second book now. So it's a process, but it's a, it's a labor of love. Okay. Did breaking it up into various volumes also help you guys include more stories or more things that uh, you wouldn't have been able to do had you've had to whittle it down and just do one big giant volume? Um, I think we would have, Maybe it's hard to say. We could have missed some things, but because we had to revise the first issue, I mean, uh, the first edition, we found a whole bunch of uh, material, new material to put in the book. And it actually looks better now, we think, than the original version that we are selling at the moment. It's like uh, more photography, more uh, flyers, some more uh, interviews. And, um, you know, it's just, uh, you know, a, a, an updated version of uh, what we put out. But we the book is doing really well. Uh, we have the best compliments I've been getting from from people that we know or people that we never met before, you know, telling us, you know, how much they love the book and what we put inside it. And uh, and we've told, you know people either online or in person, you know, that there's going to be a revised edition and that's coming up real soon. Okay. There's mentioning that the reason for the revision, honestly, is uh, the Aquarian magazine we had gone to. It's a local regional magazine for music and stuff. I'm sure you remember it, Victor. Yeah. And I worked there for about four or five years back in the late eighties. And we had gone to them to ask if we could go into their archives and kind of timeline by ads, just the metal mm -hmm. stuff because they were a full rounded music magazine. They had all kinds of artsy music and folk music and whatever. And metal was a segment of it. So they were like, yeah, have at it. And initially they were super cool and let us into that room. I mean, they let Frank in more than me. And he was there for hours and hours on end for multiple days. And we got the coolest ads from back in the day. And it, it helped us kind of dial in what band played, what club, when. You know, mm -hmm. like those things are kind of lost into the ether now. So right. it was really, really great. 
and we published it. We put it out. Uh, we had a thing at Chiller Theater, which is like a big horror movie convention thing here locally. Yeah. And it's at the Hilton on Route 10. And so we had a table there. And so did Mark Skirman, who has Weird New Jersey, which is, I'm sure you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a book and a TV show and a whole bunch of stuff. And Mark is like the salt of the earth, in my opinion. He's a great guy. So I brought him a free book because they've given us access to the archives, signed it for him. We give a big, giant dedication to them in the last page of the book for allowing us the access to that stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. And then all of the hype started to come out online. Everybody wearing their Jersey Metal shirts like Frank's wearing right now, doing selfies, buying books, doing selfies with books. And... I, I don't know if that's the reason, but they sent Frank an email. They didn't even have the guts to send me the email, but they sent it to Frank saying, uh, you know what? We didn't realize you were going to use so much of our stuff. So future pressings, we don't want our stuff in there. So I've just literally this past week completed a complete revision on the book where we had told bands, not we didn't tell the bands, I don't think, Frank, but we didn't put the band flyers in because we had the ads. So we did put these flyers in that all these bands gave us. And now we have the opportunity to put those flyers in. So just what Frank said is exactly perfect. It's much more visual. I dropped the point size down a point that made a big difference for letting the pages breathe better. And Frank got a lot of freaking cool other stories and photos from other bands that aren't in the very, very first edition that saw the first edition and were like, Oh, I would have loved to have contributed this or that. And now all of that stuff's in there. Like Metal Joe from the Old Bridge Militias, one thing off the top of my head. We don't have any quotes from him really in the first book, but now we do in the final version. So the final version, I'm I'm page 78 in the proofreading of it because I just want to make sure I don't have any Aquarian stuff in there because they don't want it. So I'm going to make sure I completely eliminate them from the whole thing. And when that's done... Frank will do a proofread of his own and give me the photo credit stuff. And then we're good. And we're on to the second book. Cool. That, that, that's just so odd though. I mean, yeah, I mean, we, we made it a point to, we made it a point to have a meeting with them face to face in their offices. We told them we wanted to use ads throughout the whole book and they understood it. And it was going to kind of coincide when the newspaper was going to come back and they were going to use ads for like, you know, because the New Jersey legalized marijuana. So they were going to put marijuana ads. And, you know, with the book, it was going to help launch their newspaper back out because of COVID knocking it down. So um, I guess they just decided to go Internet for the rest of their course with the newspaper. And mm-hmm. then they, you know, I had a meeting with uh, one of them prior to this getting this email and everyone seemed to be really cool with waiting to get a copy and then we get i get this email i'm like what the fuck so we ended up uh changing everything changing just the newspaper ads and moving in other photos and uh, and flyers that i i got from uh different sources and um it's i think a, a more uh meteor uh in the heavy in the heavy sense and story wise and you know people that we didn't think at first uh would want to be part of the book and then after talking to them we ended up getting them in there so yeah so it's gonna it's so it's very well done okay do you think it's a case that maybe they thought that you guys would have offered to pay them 
something. Yes. No, I think it was just a matter of of the fact that we got there. We got a book out before they did. No, it's dude. Their book is not even near ready to come out, and it's a book about the magazine, which is all kinds of music. It's not metal, so it doesn't compete against. It's, us. it's a news. It's a newspaper, so basically, they're just they wanted to do a book on ads, right? And that's fine. And so God bless. Like, and I thought we were kind of helping them with their book. To be honest with you, like any props we give them and promo is going to help them to try to sell their book. But I do think, honestly, Victor because I have another person who I won't name by name who is kind of in the midst of it all, who said that it's probably just money, just pay him some money. And honestly, brother, if they asked us at the very beginning when Frank and I walked into the office and said, can we go into the archives and do this? If they said, well, you can, but we want a dollar a book or we want 500 bucks or a thousand dollars. Frank and I would have most likely paid that then. But to do it after you see the hype that we built on our own backs and right. our own sweat and hard work to then jump in and then be like that, you don't get any money. You get what you asked for. Existence gone. There will be no mention of the Aquarian as if they never existed in our book. And that's right. just fine with me, brother, because that's karma. And you got to own your karma. Yeah, and, and that's kind of weird, too, because the second you guys start mentioning all the ads, I'm thinking, hey, that's cross-promotion for them. You know, because yeah, that's that's the whole point. That was I like you know, giving giving yeah. them promotion, giving the bands promotion. It was a win win for everybody. It was a win win. And they just happen, and they yep, and they just happen to not want to be part of that anymore. So we just decided, okay, fine, we'll revise it, and then we're moving on. That's all. It yeah. was a win 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 across the board. It's, there's no reason for it. It doesn't make any sense to me either, Victor. I don't get it, but it's okay. I didn't cause it. You know what I mean? I'm just reacting to it and I'm doing exactly what you asked me to do. So you don't exist anymore. And on top of that, you gave us a fully highly limited edition. So like I said, anybody that buys this first version, you'll never be able to buy it again. And we literally, I think we've blown through, I don't know, what have we blown through? Like three, 400 books already. And we don't have a lot left. Mm -hmm. So when that's done, it's done. And then right. the new one will come out and, you know, it'll be a whole different game, you know? Yeah. That, and, and maybe this is just my ignorance, but being originally from that area, does the Aquarian have much more reach beyond Jersey and New York? They have no reach whatsoever, brother. They're just online. Their money is made by uh, one of their owners. There's three owners. There's Diane, Chris, and Mark. And I got to say this, first of all, Mark Skirman, who I gave that book to, he didn't sign his name to that email asking us to not do that. So I know he's probably not on board with that. And I'm not trying to cause chaos between all of those people. But regardless, he didn't put his name on it. And that speaks volumes to me because I've always loved Mark. I thought he was a great dude. Always. I still do. And I have to think it's the other two partners that suddenly thought, well, you know what? We're not going to let them get away with this or whatever, which is something they allowed us to get away with if you right. want to put it that way. So I don't know, dude. I, I just know that Mark's a great guy. And I feel bad that it kind of went this direction. But, I mean, shit, they sent us the picture of themselves to put in the special thanks at the back of the book. And mm -hmm. we gave them a glorious freaking special thanks in the first version. And we paid 400 bucks to them to print the Jersey Metal stickers. So we made money with them together. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was going to grow into something really cool. And then we get that, well, we. 
Then Frank gets that email, and here we are. <laughs> yeah. So here's here's the thing. The other day, you sent me some PDFs uh, showing me parts of the book. Obviously, to get the book to me would have been ridiculously priced. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, I suck at reading, and I started reading this and was instantly sucked in. Awesome. You know, because cool. I, uh, a, a lot of books, let's be honest, there, a lot of music related books uh, either have, you know, your typical ghostwriter where they're embellishing on a lot of stories. Uh, going back to, to John Bush, I asked him about various members of his band appearing in some other big name autobiographies and his reaction was, yeah, that's an interesting take on things that didn't exactly happen that way. Um, and, and then you have, you know, the, the biographical side of things, which reminds me of watching a great documentary. I'm reading, you know, the pages on um, Frank going to Madison square garden to see Zeppelin <laughs> And of course, growing up in the area, being familiar with what the Port Authority is, where the garden is, you know, stuff like that. I'm like, holy shit, I'm sold. You know, it's I, I, wa I want cool. to, you know, read this story. I, I want to find out more about this. Yeah, it's very, it, it brings you in, it sucks you in and what and you just want to stay there and keep going with it and find out what happened to me after I went to the garden and stuff like that. And, you know, and then I go into something else, you know, related to uh, photography and, you know, and just trying to keep that same momentum going uh, when I was a kid, because that's all I had planned for the time being, you know, outside of, you know, my, my family and my school was to go and photograph uh, concerts and it just sucked me in. And then I wanted to just on and on with it. And that's what happened. And, uh, and that's how the story kind of escalates into doing all different things with different bands, you know, and at different venues in New York. And because there was no uh, arena in New Jersey at that time in the seventies. And so you had to go into New York city, or if I had an older brother or sister or a friend who had a car in the mid seventies that could drive me to, let's say the Capitol theater Passaic or down in Asbury park, you know, I could have gotten some shows there, but I had to do what I had to do at that time to uh, just keep going with things. And my parents didn't find out. So Dude, thank God, because they would have taken away my camera and everything. You were yeah. 12 years old. <laughs> I know. It's real. It's unreal. Yeah. yeah. What? Yeah, it could be a movie. <laughs> Absolutely. What drew you to photography? I mean, obviously you're shooting all these great bands and for most people, they would probably say, you know what? all right, I'll take a few pictures, but I want to learn to play the guitar. I want to be the singer up there on stage, but you right. obviously have stuck with photography all these years. What right. was the catalyst for that? What was the bug that bit you to make you say, you know what? I love shooting these bands. This is what I want to do. Well, my mom taught me how to photograph in the sixties because she was a photographer in the forties and fifties. And okay. so after she was married, had me as a, um, in the sixties, she had a lot of camera equipment and at six years old, she started teaching me how to photograph. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, she showed me uh, slides on the wall. And she taught me how to photograph using a Kodachrome film at first. And I was taking slides, you know, just around the house. And then we went to the park. And, uh, you know, I'd be like, you know, bringing along with me, you know, the camera equipment, you know, with my with my mother and my sisters might come along or my father came along with us. And we would, you know, have an outing and I would take a few photos here and there. And I just learned really slowly, but it was took six years. And during that six years, I got into music. I got into uh, selling things as a child. And um, I learned uh, the camera more and more. And uh, I was watching television, watching music shows like Ed Sullivan, Midnight Special, uh, in concert, uh, Don Kirsch's rock concert. I wanted to be part of that because I saw kids there in the audience and I wanted to I wanted to be involved in that as well. And so uh, in 1975, uh, or in 74, beginning of 75, I heard about Led Zeppelin playing in Madison Square Garden, and I wanted to go to that show. So I had to come up with a plan uh, for some reason to want to photograph at least one show because I didn't know if I was able to see them again. So I got a plan together. I was able to take my mom's camera without her knowing about it. I told them a lie, told them I'd be in the neighborhood, which... I ended up going down the street, catching the bus and going into the city. And I saw the best thing in my life at that point when I when I saw Zeppelin on stage and photographing them. And I just got some of the best pictures I ever got, you know, you know, from back then, um, because I was still you know, with my mom was teaching me all the time. Um, you know, I, I played sports as a child, but photography was something that I just clicked into where I wanted to keep doing it. And as I photographed shows, my photography just kept uh, just getting better as I was going along uh, because I always was able to find seats that were up front Uh, or I would uh, buy seats that were kind of close and then I would move up as soon as the house lights went out. And that's uh, how I uh, got that um, bug inside me to want to keep doing this. And then uh, a few years later, a guy uh, from where I was working at uh, wanted to use one of my photos in a local newspaper here in New Jersey, and um, it made it into the paper. And after that, I decided to start calling up magazines. And then Relics Magazine used a photo of mine of Yorma Kalkinen that I photographed in, in my town of Bergenfield, New Jersey, at the circus. And um, that started me. Uh, the ball of like calling other magazines and I started working with guitar world, uh, kick ass monthly, uh, cream circus, rock scene, hit parader faces, Kerrang. And, and, and then record companies noticed my photography and I was working with them and then book companies. And then it just went on from there. So, you know, that's how it kind of really got going for me. How important was it that that first show was Zeppelin? Uh, do you think you would have had the same effect if it was any other band or the fact um, it being Zeppelin making it, you I, know, maybe a little extra special? Did that yeah. help drive it home? It, it was extra special and it and it propelled me to want to photograph uh, my next show as soon as possible. You know, because of just the action going on, the music, it was right. It was right in my face. And it just really impressed the hell out of me to want to keep doing it. Uh, And it was the only thing that was like an outside outlet 
from, you know, being around my house and hanging out with my friends. And back then, my friends didn't know what I was doing because I figured if I told anybody, they would tell my, my parents somehow. And then it would have been all over with. So I had to keep an, an, an absolute secret from everybody, including my sisters. Right. So my mom didn't my mom didn't find out I was doing this until she was in her 80s. Oh, wow. and, she's still, and she's now 91 and she still asks me, Frankie, how did you go into New York City to photograph these shows? You know, I go, Mom, it's in the book. <laughs> Frankie undercover. <laughs> so, there you go. Um, so real quickly, uh, my brother's here in the chat and his mind is exploding. I don't know if my brother actually knows you, Alan, because okay. based on his comment here, he says, uh, Alan, how does someone so refined looking and from Denville get into metal? Who inspired you? I also love the fact that you are a biker. So maybe there's a connection with the motorcycle somewhere because my brother rides bikes as well. Okay. So I'm not sure. I used, if I used to uh, photograph for biker magazines back in the late nineties and early two thousands. Okay. Like uh, iron horse outlaw biker right. to ride in the wind. Yeah. I got, I got involved in that because one of my magazines had a biker magazine and then that led to photographing uh, events and uh, other magazines. So, and it's funny how I, I met, you know, got in involved with somebody who's also into motorcycles. So everything worked out really well between me and Alan. Yeah, cool. yeah, for sure. Frank, look at the, if you can see the chats on the side, uh, his brother's popping in there. It's Floyd Vivino. Oh, I don't see it on my, on my end. You don't see it? No, I don't see anything. No chats on my, on my end. Okay. Well, to answer your brother's question, um, I don't always look like this. I'm running from the law, so I constantly change my look. So I put a goatee on every now and then. I shave my head bald. Like I, I'm all about changing it up. So don't judge a book by its cover, Arturo. <laughs> mm. And I do ride motorcycles. I was a 14-year motorcycle safety instructor for Fairleigh Dickinson University and the Riding Academy of New Jersey. The FDU program is gone now. Riding Academy still does their thing out of Montclair University. Um, and I love to ride. I'm a big biker. I'm, I'm totally into it. I ride a Yamaha three-cylinder. I'm all about it. And, yeah, it's a ride day. Arturo, you hit me up, bro. There you go. Um the first photographer that I personally met, metal photographer, music photographer, uh, was back when I was in college and working for Hollywood Records was Kevin Estrada. Oh, yeah, I met him. He's from L.A. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he would always tell me these amazing stories about sneaking in to see Van Halen play. Um, and he also kind of told me stories about getting caught by security as a kid and getting beat up and stuff yeah. like that to get uh, film taken away. So when I was reading yeah. the, the excerpts that uh, Alan had sent me, you referenced the fact that things were still a little easier to get into shows with cameras and stuff like that. Whereas later yeah. on, it became a lot more difficult when was the flip of that switch where all of a sudden it was a lot harder to, to get into shows with your cameras? Um, well, for me, uh, I guess in New York and at some of the venues that I photographed at back then, 
their their restrictions for cameras really there wasn't anything in place because back then people you know didn't think that we were going to take these photos and sell them we thought they were everything was for our personal use which it was but people started asking me about can i buy this photo from you or that photo and i'm like yeah sure why not you know because it gave me more money to go to other shows and as time went on in the, in the late 70s um i still was able to not only sell photos but i ended up selling photos and tickets outside i was i was scalping tickets through a broker at my uh, store in bergenfield called collector's world he had all these tickets and he offered them to me to sell at my high school the mall you know uh my neighborhood at, at, at venues in new york and then in new jersey and i never got caught <laughs> I never uh, got in trouble with it. I never got, uh, I never snuck into a show. Uh, I always had a ticket on me. Um, everything seemed to go really smoothly in my life when I was photographing uh, back in the day. And, uh, and then that just slid right into uh, getting photo uh, assignments and passes from the magazines and record companies. And, you know, everyone really appreciated what I did. And so I guess they wanted to keep me going in that, you know, in that direction. So I ended up photographing for a lot of different outlets uh, through the course of my life. And, um, you know, I just have the perseverance to, uh, to move, move forward with everything that I do. I try not to like, let it sit there. You know, I just keep going, pushing forward. And that's why I was able to become, you know, uh, a popular photographer with a lot of different outlets and companies. Victor's brother is asking you, Frank, Ilford or Kodak, what was your preferred paper? On for for photograph photographic paper? For printing, yeah. For well, I mean, back in the day I was using Tri-X. Um, that's what I was using at my school, which I found out because I went to Bergen Tech in Hackensack. And back in 69, our the commercial art department that I would end up being part of needed a, a developing area to develop film. And so my commercial art teacher knew the Isley brothers and uh, who were living in Teaneck at the time. Yeah. And they were friends with Jimi Hendrix. So Jimi Hendrix made an appearance in the parking lot of Bergen Tech and was signing autographs for a dollar to raise money for a developing uh, studio in my commercial art class that I would eventually do uh, develop film. From like uh, some of the photos in the book of like when uh, Ozzy and Randy, uh, you know, when they performed at the Palladium and Jethro Tull, um, they're not in the book, but they were one of the bands I photographed like in the late seventies. And I was and I was developing this film in a little developing dark room that was donated by Jimi Hendrix, which I wow. found out recently. You know, and I was like, and I have a tattoo of him on my arm. Um, you know, uh, I he was my favorite guitar player growing up. So it's just a coincidence is that in my life, you know, led me to, you know, getting this book out there, you know, with Alan, who's such a, a great person to uh, be a partner with, you know, and uh, really, you know, put help put together this amazing book uh, that we're getting such great compliments about. Cool. You know, I can't thank him enough. I love that Hendrix story. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I just couldn't believe it, man. When he when he told us, 
I was like, I was floored. I was floored. Who know? I was in that dark room for four years and never knew about that story until I found out just recently. Wow. Yeah. That's very cool. Um, nowadays, do you shoot any in analog still or is it all digital? It's all digital. But okay. I do the big bands like Scorpions recently, Iron Maiden, Ace Freely, you know. So, you know, I, I could, you know, if, if certain bands, you know, smaller acts, one of our the newer bands that I came across uh, uh, about over a year ago was a band called Morbid Cross. Saw okay. them on uh, on YouTube, and I turned Alan on to them, and then we had to do photo sessions with a friend of mine, and then we were close enough to go to where they lived in South Jersey, and we were able to meet them. We did an interview with them, and we did photo sessions with them, and they're going to be in our third book. And they're one of uh, one of the the greatest new thrash bands from the state of New Jersey. So uh, we start uh, we in, we introduced them to the Metallic Cave a radio show and uh they've been on there and i've seen them now in different venues and i actually have photos on their second uh cd oh, cool. because of uh seeing them and being having them being a part of our our book series okay cool. and um obviously with digital you can shoot a lot more than you could back in the day with, with the analog yeah so how much easier is that for you it's a whole lot easier. You don't have to worry about going to a store and buying film and then getting it developed, you know, and spending the extra money and with gas and whatever you have to do to get uh, the rolls of film done. And then you got to, you know, ship them out uh, by mail. You know, everything is like you can basically if you have a laptop with you at a concert, you could after you're done shooting, put it into the uh, computer and then start working on the photos and send them right out before you even leave the show. You know, so I, I'm I'm lucky enough where I can wait until like the following day or two days to get photos to where they have or have to go. So, okay. And I'm also doing reviews too. Goldmine Magazine uh, uh, has a bunch of my reviews from different types of uh, genres of music. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, circling back to we started talking uh, about Overkill all the way at the beginning. Um, when I interviewed Blitz years ago, he talked about, or actually I brought up the fact that I'd read online that they had said that Overkill was a New York band. And his response to that was, um, we're a New Jersey band, but he said for him, the scene is the same New York. The New York scene is kind of the New Jersey scene. So it's home a home B type of a deal. Um, yeah, I mean, there are people that you'll see the same people at New Jersey shows as you do in certain New York. Uh, in the, this, the five boroughs of of New York City, you see right. some of the same people, and and I've seen some of the same people for decades. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, you know, some I haven't seen anymore, but there were some that I have seen over over the last three or four decades. Yeah, because you know we're right next to each other, so it was the same scene. But if we made it New York and New Jersey metal, we would never. It would be like eight books. Yeah, (laughs) it would take too long. (laughs) Right. So we just considered just doing just uh, on our state. Okay, but there are like, for example, the Zeppelin pictures are from uh, from MSG. Um, Right. But that's because Frank's from New Jersey, and and, 
is the glue for that. You know what I mean? There was no, there was no way of getting to like, at 12 years old, there was no way for me to drive to a concert yeah. when my parents didn't even know I was going to a concert. <laughs> so, and again, there were no arenas where these big bands were playing like Alice Cooper, uh, you know, uh, rainbow and, uh, Led Zeppelin and, uh, bad company, you know, so I had the only other place to photograph was across the water in New York city. Yeah. It, there was no yeah. other way I could go to any place else at 12 years old, yeah, 13 yeah, yeah. years old. And so then, and, and those bands are the roots of the, of the band, you know, the bands that started out in New Jersey, mm -hmm. they took, yeah. you know, they copied off of Alice Cooper, Led Zeppelin, you know, um, and other You're bands wrong. and that's, You're and then the who, and, you know, and they started their own bands by copying these big, huge bands that weren't from New Jersey. They're mm -hmm. from, yeah. uh, you know, England and the West coast. And so everyone had a copy off of somebody in order to get somewhere. And, you know, I had to go into New York City to start out my career, but it then went back into New Jersey as I got a little older and was able to drive and go to shows, the Capitol, Asbury Park, and wherever, and all the other clubs that I went through over the course of my life, it which bears is going to be into other editions of the book. It bears mentioning that the story, if you look at jerseymetalbook.com, that's our website. That's where you can buy shirts and the book. So jerseymetal.com has our biography. So the book is really not just about Jersey Metal. It's an autobiography of Frank and of myself. Yeah. So Frank's autobiography is him being a Jersey guy. And like he said, having only the alternative to go to New York to see shows because of public transportation. Right, right, right. Definitely his story growing up, my story growing up and getting into metal. Becoming but a in between that, we had the actual scene starting out in New Jersey. Yeah. You know, with uh, with bands like Spider, Falcandra, Gabriel, Twisted Sister, Harlow. You know, they were from the New Jersey area. And so they were doing shows. And then obviously those bands ended up going across the river or uh, into upstate New York. You know, it was just because they, they got so popular. But... Mm -hmm. They were copying the music off of the big bands that I was photographing at first. So I was at least getting the original artists and then um, being involved with all those cover artists, tribute bands. And then finally into the uh, bands that came out of New Jersey that grew up on the people that were performing like in the late 70s and early 80s. And mm -hmm. then. You know, and that's how the book continues on. But it's it's just basically, um, you know, the, the the roots of where the metal started. And then it goes into how the how the the scene in New Jersey kind of starts busting out with all these clubs and, and these bands that just come out of nowhere. And they start filling up the, the clubs every night of the week, playing four or five shows a night till like four in the morning and right. you know twisted sister was one it was like one of those kind of bands and they would they wouldn't get home till 6 a.m after doing like five shows at first and then you know four or three until they got to you know record status where they were where they were doing uh signings and you know signing contracts so you know everyone started somewhere and that's yeah. how uh went I, for us yeah okay um 
D Snyder was actually my very first interview. And when I brought up them playing in New Jersey, he says to me, no, the only place we played remotely in North Jersey was the fountain ballroom. He couldn't remember. No, any they other- played other places. Okay. Yeah. Other places. Oh yeah. They played other places. Fountain, they played it was the casino, not the fountain ballroom, but yeah. Okay, fountain casino. That maybe. Was actually, that's actually in middle New Jersey. Okay. Yeah. They played like the circus, uh, Mothers and Wayne, the Soap Factory, uh, Capitol Theater, Asbury Park Convention Hall, Paramount Theater, uh, you know, like uh, Dodds. There were so many of them that and you can see it in the book. Good. <laughs> okay. Clearly. <laughs> um, you guys mentioned that uh, you guys went to check out the ads and they kind of helped connect the dots because you guys didn't remember uh, a lot of the, the actual concert dates doing. Well, um, I was, you know, there were certain, obviously there were certain ones that I remembered, but then there were other ones that, you know, I just couldn't attend because of my age. So, you know, I saved a lot of ads of my own and a lot of information. And so that helped connect the dots to getting the early years going. And, and also we interviewed bands too. So they gave us information and that helped us, that helped us get the book moving along, you know, until we got into the eighties and then we finished the first volume. Yeah. But what's the rest of the question you had, Victor? (laughs) My question was, um, what are there any moments that by doing this research sparked or kind of uh, brought up, different things that had happened to you guys that you had forgotten about that by doing research, it was like, Holy shit. I remember that this had happened, but you had forgotten about it. Is there one specific moment for each of you guys that came up during the book that you guys had completely forgotten about and you were kind of happy to stumble back upon it? Frank. Tough. Um, I, I I can't maybe like, uh, let's see. Um, uh, I I don't have an answer for it. I got Alan. One. You first. I got to think yeah. of something. For, for me, I, there's a lot. Because for me, go ahead, Alan. No, ahead. for me personally, I was in this band Prophecy early on. Then I went to a band called Aggressor, and then I was in Hades. And I know that those hap- those things happen because they happen very quickly. We're between eighty three, eighty five, eighty six. You know, I didn't know exactly what. And seeing some of the ads, I only did one show with Aggressor, a bunch of shows of Prophecy. Frank was the photographer for the, it was actually Frank's first posing a band for a photo shoot, shoot, which was my band Prophecy. And that's really where I first met Frank. Um, So connecting those dots really timelined it for me more accurately than I would have if I had to do it out of my head. Okay. Yeah. Um... I, it's hard. I can't really come up with something for you right at this moment. It's just, I mean, cause I had everything through the book um, that I kind of planned out and um, there might've been photos that I didn't know that I had uh, that I found that were in negative form, you know, um, where I might've forgotten about some of that stuff. And then that went into the book. Um, as far as stories go, um, like I said, a lot of the early stuff came from bands, uh, themselves. And then, um, 
I talk about the shows that I went to and then finding the photos. And like I said, some of the ones that I didn't usually use, I was now using in this book because it took me a little time to research through my file cabinets because everything's in order. It's just that I don't use every single photo from every right. band, you know, there's select photos. And then for something like this, I wanted to see, well, what else do I have? Mm-hmm. And so I would go through files and find things that I thought were maybe even better to use for this particular uh, product that we okay. put out. Everything that you have is pretty much in, in good condition still. Is there anything that you had and wanted to use, but couldn't use because maybe it had deteriorated or it, no. it wasn't as good as what you originally thought it was? No, everything I had was in really good order. I mean, okay. I've had file cabinets, you know, since I've been a teenager. So I've always kept really good. Um, uh, I've kept all my files in, in good order. And so that's what makes you a, a good photographer. Besides being know how to photograph, you got to be organized. And I've been organized, you know, my whole life. So I've been able to find things in seconds. And, hey, Alan, you know, we could use this, you know, I uh, have this. And then I'd be getting some stuff from other people. And, you know, we just, that's, you need organization when you do a book like this. You got to, you know, start from, you know, the year that you want to go and then go through each month and each year. And uh, obviously the newspapers you know, they brought back, oh, you know, some of the memories uh, that, you know, for certain smaller shows, um, you know, maybe I didn't shoot or uh, I, you know, went to, but maybe I didn't photograph and just went to the show. But then the following month, I went to see him somewhere else in another state, you know, so it's it, it you really have to have organization when you do a book like this because there's a lot involved you know you don't want to try to you know miss anybody and uh you want to get the facts straight so we had to go to a lot of uh people to you know to get the facts right for this book okay and how far along are you guys with volume two? Is it still in the planning stages? Have you started anything of it yeah. at this point? Yeah, yeah. We got a lot of it laid out, but it's not fully laid out yet. And right. Frank and I have a lot of work ahead of us for sure. I think I'm on page 76 of the final read through for the proofing of the first book. And then Frank's got to reread it and then get all the photo credits accurate. Once that's done, the first one is totally put to bed. Mm-hmm. And we're on the second one, you know, deep in. But I'd say we're like knee deep in the second book right now. Okay. Yeah, we have we have photos picked out. We have flyers uh, in place. Uh, and we have already stories from myself uh, and from uh, Alan and also from uh, some band members. So we have, you know, at least parts of the puzzle that we could place on, on certain pages and then find the other pieces and then it all fit together. And- we're off to uh, the next decade. Yep. <laughs> uh, as far as the last volume, is there anything with that? Outside? I mean, have you guys even picked pictures for that? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We have a skeleton architecture of both of the next okay, two. Books. Okay. Yeah. That's what my overall yeah. question is. Yeah. We, we just have to build down and dial it in. And some of the younger bands from, you know, this, uh, this century, <laughs> 
you know, have come up to me, you know, over the course of the last uh, year or so and, you know, heard about the book and they say, oh, we have this great band. We'd like you to, you know, uh, see if you can get us in. And I talk to them and then eventually they end up uh, going in and it'll be a few, couple years before that happens. But at least, you know, they have at least their place in the book. Right. Hey, listen, Vic, Vic, I don't know when you want to end this, but I kind of got to bounce. So I just want to say your brother was asking about diners to go to. Mm -hmm. And if we talked about Dave Lisinski, who was the drummer in Autumn Hour and a two Hades albums, who he just died two days ago, unfortunately. Um, when he used to manage a club called Aldo's in Lindhurst, New Jersey, and he was my roommate, we would oh. go to Aldo's because he was working, close Aldo's, go to the Loop Lounge in Passaic, close the Loop. And this is probably five to six nights a week we did this. So we lived this life for years. And then we would go to, your brother asked what diner you went to, always the TikTok. And we would watch the Guidos fight with all the heavy metal people or the alternative people. One night the Guidos were throwing freaking knives and forks across the whole entire room. It was like a war zone, it was so sick. But yeah, TikTok was the way to go. And then we would go back to my apartment that I shared with Dave and crash out. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> diner, okay. life. diner life sometimes that happens at a soap factory too i'm sure yeah, the, you, know, you know the people the dancers and the studio metal people studio going out in the park a lot studio one mm -hmm. two same effect, same effect. <laughs> um i have a, a listener from the uk who asked if this book uh is gonna become available um in the uk or anywhere outside of the u.s and uh, he also asks, what makes Jersey Metal distinctive and what are the must-hear bands I might never have heard of about? Well, everybody comes from New Jersey, so that's why it's distinctive. <laughs> like, no matter where you are in the world, you ask somebody right. where they're from, they're from somewhere in Jersey. Right. Uh, the bands, I don't know, what are the big bands, Frank? Like Monster Magnet, for sure, is one of the big yeah. ones. Overkill. Overkill. Days big time. Um, there's a lot, uh, you know, there's... even bands like Dillinger's Escape Plan, yeah, you yeah. know, big yeah. band, you know, uh, Incantation. You know, yeah. I'm not sure if they, they still live, but you know, they were they have a lot of Jersey roots. Um, and uh, let's see, uh, who else? But you got other bands that are more pop, metal, you know, like Bon Jovi, you know, yeah. still really big. Uh, um so well, yeah, we you got like el nino yeah right. we deliberately made uh the book be about the big bands and the very obscure small bands so like mind yeah. the will be in there you know there's, whiplash, there's another band. band whiplash for sure but whiplash had a deal and actually did records but yeah for sure there's there's a lot of music that came out of jersey there's no question about it okay and as far as the book, if if they want to get it in the UK. Oh, yeah. So I don't know. OK, so we deal with uh, our printing company's book, baby. Mm -hmm. And so they're responsible for distributing the book uh, to like, you know, Amazon, like Barnes and Noble here in the States. Um, we don't know if they do any uh, distribution in the UK because they haven't told us that. I, you know, a lot of people outside of the U.S. could buy it online, you know, because uh, it's it, it's expensive for us to send it across to Europe, like cost right. like fifty dollars or more, 
So we figured that, you know, since we made a deal with Book Baby, that they would be the ones that would be shipping it wherever because it was, they told us it was available worldwide on December 7th. So we took them at their word. So we're holding that to them for them to make that uh, right with whoever wants the book. Yes, yeah, so so go, book, go, go to bookbaby.com and you can buy it there. Yeah, if you're buying it overseas, definitely. That's the move. Okay. Yeah. And, and then in the, if you're in the States, you can buy it through us. Okay, yeah, that was my next question. Because I usually ask bands, where do you want people to buy the, the album so it puts the most amount of money back in your pocket and doesn't get caught right. up? Well, jerseymetalbook.com, jerseymetalbook.com, jerseymetalbook.com. That's where you go. Because if okay. you buy it through Amazon, which you can, we make less than $4 on that book. Okay. And the book, and the book is 75 bucks because it right. costs us 50 to print it. So okay. we're not gouging people with anything, but we wanted to provide a good product, a full color, full gloss, mm-hmm. and that shit ain't cheap. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, Alan, any music projects you're currently working on? So my band, Level Fields, uh, these guys are definitely the most patient guys in the world because the book has kind of taken priority to all of that. We have about a dozen songs we're working on, various stages. We're debating whether we just do one more album to get rid of our record label, who hasn't really done much for us, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and fulfill the contract, or just release one song at a time digitally. But I did just have a song come out on a record called Barnabas Sky, The band is Barnabas Sky. It's kind of a solo guys project from Germany. And I sing one song on it. There's Doogie White and there's a whole bunch of other singers that sing the other songs. Right. One song on there. The record is called What Comes to Light, I believe. And uh, I'm very, very happy with my performance and what I did on there. It's just one song on one album. But that's what I got going on musically. It's not too much. (laughs) Okay. And I I did the photo for it. Yes, oh, you did. Wow. Okay. And I was specifically asked if there was any news with regarding uh, Michael upon the silent assassins. Well, Mike moved to Florida and we're still tight friends. He's a great, great dude. Uh, I know he's probably got the next probably two records done <laughs> knowing Mike, uh, <laughs> okay. but he hasn't approached me about doing anything more. Uh, but when he does, you know, I will absolutely do it because I'm very, very proud of uh, that. Those first three records, it's not my style lyrically mm-hmm. um, and even somewhat musically, like it's more of an old school classic, you know, metal kind of thing, power yeah. metal. And I know Mike lives for that. That's like his thing, but it shows in the passion that he plays with on those songs and right. it inspires me to just do my absolute best because I don't want to let Mike down. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I, I, I'm happy with my performances on all those records. Uh, working with Michael Romeo in the studio, tracking me was phenomenal. I mean, that guy's just a freaking genius. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, they're just great guys. So it's it's fun to be able to work with good guys that respect you and and treat you the right way. You know what I mean? And then those guys are they're awesome. The salt of the earth. Okay. And last question. Um, if, if people want to keep up with the book, the best place to go is the, the website or is there any social media that, uh, people should follow? What's, what's the word? Where should they go? We have a Facebook page, but jerseymetalbook.com is probably the core source. Uh, but feel free to go on the Facebook page and comment, whatever, whatever you like about the book. Don't like about yeah, the book. Definitely. 
yeah, whatever could improve the next books. You know, we're definitely looking for bands to give us more information. We're th that's the great thing about this first book, laying the groundwork, because now there's a lot of bands that are coming out like, well, are we going to be in the next book? And we did this and that. And it's like, yeah, absolutely. Get us flyers. Tell us a cool story from back in the day. Right. You know, we're going to edit it down and it's going to be whatever the page is a lot for because we can't make it a freaking 600 page book. But absolutely, we are open to getting stuff from everybody. Okay. Yeah, we want to get, you know, the New Jersey bands that deserve, you know, to be in there as well as bands that are obscure and, you know, are not around anymore. We want to give everyone an equal opportunity. Okay. And if people want to follow you guys individually, is there any place they should go? I mean, I got my personal Facebook page, but that's kind of it. Me too. Okay. It's Frank White. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. I want to thank the two of you for spending all this time with me tonight and uh, talking about the book. Uh, I'm looking forward to um, actually getting the book in my, in my hands one day. Um, Alan, as I, as I tell your uh, former bandmate, once I'm in the States and shipping is affordable, I will pick it up <laughs> once I'm there. You but, let me know, Victor. We'll make it happen. All right, cool. So thanks guys. Um, thank you. Thanks, thanks a lot, man. man. All right, guys, take it easy. All right. Yep, have bye -bye. Good See Cheers. Cool. So that was my interview with Frank White and Alan Tecchio, the, uh, the people behind the Jersey metal book. Uh, like I said, Alan sent me some of the PDF pages of different excerpts of the book and it looks amazing. It reads amazingly. You get, at least for me, I got sucked right into it right away. For me, it was refreshing to, to read a book on music where it didn't have band members bitching about other band members or, or other shit like that. It's, you know, someone getting sucked into music kind of like the rest of us were, you know, as music fans. So awesome. Uh, so, I mean, what I've seen looks great. Go to their website and pick it up. Uh, on that note, we come to the end of the show. The podcast of this will be released next week. In the meantime, you'll be able to check this out and all the streaming platforms where it went out live. Uh, or if you're coming across the actual podcast version, want to check out the video version, you can do that as well. Uh, just go to signalsfromars.com to find out all the various links where you can follow the show, like share all that good stuff. And uh, that is it. I want to thank all my patrons who joined me the first hour to talk about some uh, music news. And uh, again, thank uh, Frank and Alan for joining me in the second hour for a really cool discussion. Uh, being from New Jersey, you can't have enough, uh, enough Jersey metal or enough talk about uh, bands from back home. So uh, awesome. Uh, guys, thanks for checking out the show and we'll see you next time right here on Signals from Mars. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Signals from Mars podcast. You can subscribe to the show on all your favorite podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon, and more. Go to SignalsFromMars.com for more information. This concludes our show. 